0: Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and today is episode 36. And we're going to be talking about the idea of neighborhood and the practice of neighboring. Let's do this. Thank you guys so much for joining us today in this conversation. We love how it's continuing to grow and the feedback that we've been getting from you guys. Today, we got a very special guest. He's a husband, a father, a pastor, author, beekeeper, is living here right in Calgary, Alberta, which is where we're at Chestermere. Chestermere, yeah. Yes, Preston. Preston Puteau. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect that's hey love it. it's getting right on to a good start <laughs> and careful observers of our social media page will recognize his name because he was one of the first people to give us a shout out when we first started this yeah. podcast like oh. a year and a half ago maybe almost two years ago totally and that was so encouraging for us for him to encourage us to continue to engage in the conversation in, in regards to faith church and mission in the canadian asian context so awesome. thank you so much for giving us a shout out
1: hey man appreciate it
0: yeah and so how are you been
1: doing uh, well, well, good, good. We are, I mean, we are sitting on my back deck that's right amazing. now. It's it's a nice warm summer day. Uh, I, the fountain's on, the bees are buzzing around, there's yes. flowers around us, and somehow I get to call this work. So I'm, <laughs> yes.
0: I'm totally enjoying being, being here with you. So welcome, welcome to our neighborhood. No, thank you for your invitation. And for those who are listening and can hear a little bit of the water in the background, that's not Rainbow Falls. Rainbow <laughs> Falls is a little bit further out. And it is it is very nice. It is this man made waterfall. But I gotta say, you live in this magical neighborhood where every street is called Rainbow Falls. Oh man, it's like Rainbow Falls Drive, Rainbow Falls Green Passage. I don't know. I, we were driving along, getting to your place, and it's like Rainbow Falls. Everything okay? <laughs> Our GPS kept on saying, "Turn left on Rainbow Falls and right uh, yeah. on Rainbow Falls." I was like, "Okay, yeah." How did yeah, that? that how crazy. do you know how that happened? You you
1: know what? Uh, in in this part of Alberta right now. Uh, developers are are building uh Calgary and area, and Chestermere in particular, is fast growing. There's 22,000 people in this city now. Sure. There's only 5,000 a few years ago, and they're in the middle. I don't know if you can hear in the background, those beeping noises. Those are big Ooh. tractors that are currently clearing land for 40,000 more people to be living here. it's so, a lot of people. Yeah, so the area's just getting totally, like, strip-mined down, which which breaks my heart a little bit. But to know that there's going to be all these people moving here from all over the place just kind of makes me wonder... What is God doing? What is this city going to turn into? How do we... How do we create a culture here that people want to live and thrive, know and be known, all those good things. And we stand a chance to, they say you only build a city once, right? And we're (laughs) building the city once. And some days I disagree with how things are maybe built, but we are going to do our best to kind of build our town up. So how they name things, I think they just go street by street and give it it sweeping names and say, we built a community.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. And everyone will know. It's like, okay, when they know the street. Yeah, I guess they're in the neighborhood. Yeah. They'll, they'll know the neighborhood. That's so cool. So I got to say, one of my favorite books that I read last year was your book. Thank you. The Bees of Rainbow Falls. And it kept me super engaged and it kept me thinking and it kept me going and it prevented me from sleeping. Because <laughs> I would read it, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And sometimes I would want to like snap my fingers because it would be so poetic in the way you kind of write. <laughs> and it would it'd be beautiful in the way you kind of like kind of illustrate something or the prose you use. But then other times I'd be just wanting to shout amen. And then other times I would just want to sit and think and think about my neighborhood Thank as you. well. Yeah. So, man, it was it was just a, a really awesome experience to read your book. Thank and I'm you. glad that I get to chat with you a little bit about that. And today is kind of special sitting here because it was here that you kind of had this epiphany mm-hmm. looking at your beats. It's true. Right? And how... Observing them and their behavior helped you stretch your imagination in terms of what God was doing in your neighborhoods, in Mm -hmm. your life. And what does it mean to be involved in ministry here Mm -hmm. and in the neighborhood and to practice neighboring? You know, your book came out a couple years ago. Yeah. You know, what were some of those things that still stick out for you in terms of writing about those experiences? And what has that journey been like? since then after it's been published?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I, yeah, I did. It was just right over there. We put a little bench outside of our beehive and I would go out there in the mornings and we'd just built this place and it was still a dust bowl around here and we were wondering, <laughs> why did we move here? Suburbia wasn't really our top choice for kind of a life vision and yet we were here and wondering and really sensing that that God God was doing something in this place. And then one day, my my neighbor Mel uh, who still lives right uh, right over there, uh, still your neighbor still my neighbor she was walking between her house and her, her garage, and I just kind of had this epiphany and i 'd been so excited about these bees and the way that they were making my neighborhood come to life, and how we were dreaming about planting things and wondering could could things grow in this town, uh, both plants but but community could it could a church grow grow here, could mm. community grow here, could people love each other? Uh, And I was so excited to see how these bees were kind of starting that pollination process and looking for the first little flowers to help grow. And then I saw my neighbor and I saw how God, I think, sees her and is so fascinated by her and her life and adores her, adores her story and all that she's going through and is creating and I just suddenly had this just eruption in my heart of love for the people of this community, and it and it really fundamentally changed me and my wife and the work we have been doing here ever since. And so, so I, in that time, uh, I was asked to write for the local newspaper. Uh, yes, nice. And they had said, and the owner of the paper said, "What would you write about?" And I said, "I'm just thinking a lot about like loving my neighbors." And he said, D- "Do it." And so, I have now. I think it's been printed about two million times articles over the past five five years in this paper and some others and and that really got me writing and got me thinking about so what do you talk to your neighbors about every Mm. week in the local newspaper about how they're beautiful about how they aren't just here to make money and die (laughs) how they're here to, to to do something more and so between writing for that, and I just started this 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 book. I I gave a lecture at, at at Regent College one day, and somebody came up to me and said, "Could you give me that that in writing?" And I said, "I don't <laughs> have anything in writing." And so I I walked away. And some good people said, "You should probably write write that down." And so so I did. And I actually wrote it thinking that it would just be something that I'd put into a PDF for my neighbors to just say, "This is mm-hmm. this is what's beautiful about you in this place," and that's why it's called the Bees of Rainbow Falls, is to kind of say. This is a little mini manifesto for what I think can happen here and who we can become. But the way with books, I've gotten calls from all sides of the oceans and I get emails <laughs> yes. and people. And the best thing that the book has done by far is it's shaken the bushes for people that, that are in the same place that God mm-hmm. has said, Look at your place and your neighbors, love them as I've, as I've asked you to. And these people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, I found your book. We're trying to love our neighbors here too. And this is so awesome. This is way better than anything that I've ever done. And, And so these people have now become friends and some of them have written some books and we just kind of go back and forth and encourage each other along to say, yeah, when Jesus said, love God and love neighbor, man, he was really serious about that second part, love, Mm -hmm. love neighbor. And I confess that for much of my life, I didn't, I thought love neighbor was just kind of a little add on. It was like, love God do degrees about God, study God, go to universities about God. And then, <laughs> do degrees about love God. Yeah, and I know, right? That's awesome. <laughs> and, and, then, and then at the end, uh, love neighbor is just kind of be a generally nice guy while you go about creating your little Christian subcommunity some somewhere. And that's not what
0: Jesus was on about. The, the two are so interrelated and that's really what I've been discovering here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, what has that journey for you personally been like as you've continued to practice neighboring?
1: Yeah, I mean, I continue to write this article every week, and I continue to then engage with my neighbors, talking about the things that that that, that we value. We had a baby a couple of years ago. She's now two. But for the year that my wife was pregnant, we were so sick. She mm. was so sick. She was bedridden in the hospital. It was it was bad. And during that that year, man, like I dropped off the radar um, for a <laughs> lot of my neighbors because I was just just in service in survival mode sure but i think what what i really learned through it all was that we are seasonal people in the same way that our garden is is seasonal like right now if you look over my garden man the the lupins are flowering i mean everything is just alive in this in this garden yes but it wasn't a few months ago and it won't be in a few months like we have a very (laughs) short summer here right and so so what I've learned is that in the same way that I went into this like hibernation zone, just to kind of hold our home to t- t- together. I also had a time of life again yeah. and I came back to life and I sure. got to meet all my neighbors again. And so one of my neighbors who lives just down there, she had said to me, she said, Preston, I read your book. It's good. But I, I don't know if I have the energy. And I said, then maybe you need to be in a winter. And mm. in winter, that means that maybe it's just a few close people that care for you and remind you that, you are beloved in, in this season. And and it was really a beautiful conversation because she has since come alive in some beautiful ways. And yes. those people that walk with you in winter get to enjoy you in the springtime, right? <laughs> and so this, this is the kind of pace. There, it's a totally different scale of soul care, people care when you're living in the neighborhood. This is not... We're not trying to build something quick. We aren't trying to solve, fix things. We, we are nurturing, paying attention, mm-hmm. and letting things grow in however they are growing and saying God loves each of the things and the people that are growing here.
0: Yes. Yes. Now, in your book, you kind of highlight six different themes. Each of them has something very poignant to say about neighboring. And I wanted to ask you, you know, in your book, you talk about beauty, awe, security, Boring, taste of the place, and curates. Yeah. How have you seen readers engage with those themes? And are there any one of those themes that that they've really gravitated more towards or have been really challenged by as you've... Continue to engage people with people who have found your book, or or kind of the practice of neighboring.
1: Yeah, those are strange the- themes in a lot of ways. I I just been keeping a little notebook and writing down just words that were coming to me as I was living into my neighborhood, and these were some of the words that ended up kind of being these these these, yeah. these section titles. And yeah, they are they are interesting and things that I, that I didn't expect. And so one which which a lot of people uh, talk about is 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 security there's a lot of there's we are we don't like to think we are fear based in our decision making (laughs) uh we like to think we are pretty bold and brave but by and large when we live close to other people we live with quite a bit of fear we are nervous is somebody going to take my stuff is somebody going to hurt my family am i going to get insulted is somebody going to disagree with 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 my life or something. And so, so we, we live with this, with this nervousness and what that does is actually separates us from other, other people. Mm -hmm. Um, because we just say, as long as I stay away from other people, I'll feel more secure. I'll feel, I'll, I'll, I'll feel safe. Uh, but I write in there, and I discovered, even as I was doing my own research, is that, is that police in different parts of the world say the healthiest neighborhoods are neighborhoods where people know each other's names. Like like on the numbers, there's less break-ins, there's less thieving, there's right. less there's less uh, domestic disputes. There's a lot of things go down when people know each other's names because you feel like you belong, you're part of something, and sure. we, we underestimate the power of 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 that. And so in in my neighborhood. Um, I can't tell you how often somebody will come through my front door or my back door. Uh, a little boy who lives down, down the street, uh, He one day we just heard thump, thump at the back door and we realized that, that a little boy, Carter, had come in and thrown his two shoes off and was <laughs> in the kitchen wondering about food, right? Luckily, we know his mom and, and there's a lot of good re- relational stuff there. But to me, when he first came in and I heard that thump, thump and realized Carter was standing in our kitchen looking for food, I thought to myself, a, it felt like a episode of like f- where Steve Urkel comes in and sure. says, hey guys, you know, do you have some cheese or yeah, something? Right. But, but, but the deeper thing was uh, that to me was the best gauge of the kind of life that I want to live here. Mm. More than how many people go to our church, more than how many, you know, friends you can get doing this or that. It was does somebody feel secure and safe enough to just sure. walk on in and say, can I eat your food? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that we need to start to measure our health as families, as church on that weird measurement, which is how many people have rights to your home. Mm. And when Carter did, did that, I kind of looked at my wife and said, okay, I think we're on the right track, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I think that the level of security and just the way we understand what security is, really needs to, to change for us. Cause I think when we think we're the most secure, I think we're actually exhibiting the deepest level of insecurity. Mm. But when we open up our security gates a little bit and let, let people in and, and let ourselves into other people's lives. Um, I think that we're actually, we actually exhibit more security and it's actually more of a Christ like posture because right. you live with a security that God has some sort of sovereignty in, sure. this, in this, in these relationships.
0: Yeah. And I think even the idea of security it does relate a lot to family of origin or culture of origin. Mm. And, you know, different cultures approach the idea of security differently, you know, and it could be from, yeah. you know, their, their heritage or whatever, you know, background or history that they came from. And that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think there's a lot to kind of unpack yeah. in that one idea of security. You know, not to mention the other, you know, five other themes, but it's like even that one idea and just starting to... Open yourself up, starting to take those little steps, starting to see it in a different way, reimagine it in a different way i think that's that 's pretty crazy yeah well,
1: it it has been harder actually for caucasian european descent neighbors to cross some of the some of the barriers of uh of relationship but our neighbors who come from the middle east a few doors down they will walk right into our backyard (laughs) over our deck knock on our door and they'll bring us you know a falafel or some wonderful thing that they've made up and they're bringing food and and they are coming from a culture where where some of those barriers relationally, once they are crossed, then then you you are welcome now in, sure. in each other's space. And so this has been this has been fun, uh, but we can now learn from each other's cultures and say, hey, like um, uh, take your open posture towards relationship and spread that love around. Yeah, right? well, help us, help for us, sure. help us along. Yeah,
0: you're just making a case for moving here to Rainbow Falls, and you know they're building all these new houses, so <laughs> come, come on down, come on down. Well, there's very little
1: church presence here it's a city of 22000 there's our awesome catholic brothers and sisters us and a few other little uh, small uh, s- small small groups but we are we are always like Come and love our neighbors with us. So sure. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, other families, uh, we actually have some neighbors. I can see their house just over there and they moved to this city because they heard about what was going on and they made a conscious choice to live in this neighborhood and be part of the, our church community. And we're going to go over. They just had a baby and we're going to go over to their place. Yeah,
0: it's rad. Yeah, so, so, so good, awesome.
1: good, good, good things happening.
0: Yes. You know what? I think the one that was most challenging for me was the one about being boring being okay to be bored with someone yeah. and just to be yourself. And and I think that's that's hard when it comes to the idea of, of being a neighbor. Because I think the idea of being a neighbor, you know, I've kind of always grown up is to always, you know, to present yourself in the best way possible and to, you know, to have, uh, you know, kind of a certain type of relationship. But to kind of get to that level of intimacy where you can be bored with one another, that was like, I was like, oh, man. I don't even know how that can look like in my life. And that challenged me to think about the relationships I have with the people I live next to, right? Yeah, And it's it's difficult. And, you know, I I, I tried practicing that in, in terms of just, like, hanging out with my neighbors. And it's okay just, like, if we don't have a lot to talk about. and But I could feel the, the awkwardness in myself, just like, oh, I should say something or should do something. Or just, even today, I think I'm still kind of wrestling through kind of what that means yeah. for my life. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I think... That, that's kind of changed my way of thinking about the idea of being a neighbor. Is shifting the idea of neighbor from object to kind of being the subject and to being a verb. And so you know when it's like love our neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's sometimes like, oh, it means us loving someone else. And they're the object, yeah. right? But not thinking more in terms of like, no, I am the neighbor. They are a neighbor. Yeah. We are neighbors together. Yeah. And neighboring is the description of our interaction with one another. It's no longer it's just what i do to them or for them or or with them but it's like you know how can we be neighbors together and how can this be an opportunity to make space for what god wants to do in our neighborhoods
1: yeah i yeah, yeah i think it's martin uh, boober uh, i i think that the, this is his his quote but it is it is the relationship between I it versus I thou, and when you see the thou in somebody, you see that they're made in the image of God, and mm. that they are a very real person. And more and more, I've been talking about how people are real, and and we can we can often believe that the people we pass by are somehow not real people, that they aren't. Sure, they, they, they're just. Uh, part of the fabric and, and... (laughs) Or
0: just a number on a door, right? A number on a door,
1: yeah. And so I think, I think we as followers of Jesus have a particular unique set of language that we need to buy into again, which is this language that the people on our street, they're made in the image of God. And if they are, then that means that they carry something that's uniquely revealing about the character and nature of God that only they carry. Uh, I think every time a baby's born, it's a new revelation of something awesome about God. So when I, I love babies, yes. I'm like, I like looking at you because no one else has seen your awesome little face that's revealing something about, about sure. God. And when we start to live in this posture here and take seriously Jesus' invitation to love our neighbors, he is really saying, no, I, I this is real people in real time, in real place. And churches are really good, I think. Uh, and I don't mean to sound critical. I've been a pastor for, for a long, long time. <laughs> but churches are really good at getting out of the obligation and the joy of loving neighbor we we will make every program under the sun to make sure that we don't have to love our neighbor (laughs) but that the program is doing something in in our stead and i think i I, I think the renewal for the church in canada uh for
0: all of us is to re-engage with with loving our our neighbor again sure Mm -hmm. and i think you know jesus himself modeled that in his incarnation. Yeah. Right? Even like Eugene Peterson in the message like he moved into the neighborhood, yeah, right? That's it's yeah, like he he embodied that. Mm-hmm. And he was with people and he as God <laughs> coming to be with his creation. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that uh,
1: scripture in John that he moved into the neighborhood, a lot of versions have, he, he pitched his tent among us and, Mm. and this idea of tent, I mean, God dwelt in this tabernacle, but the people really wanted to make this, this big, you know, stone temple. And, you know, I think God accommodated them, but, but I think Jesus showed us again that God really exists in a tent. He, yeah. he, he moves with his people and he moves in with and, and among, and not only that, but now we are his temple moving sure. in with and among. And so that that to me is just profound language that I would be, and you would be uh, the temple of God modeled first by Jesus and empowered by God's spirit to be present here. So right beside my my neighbors, I get to be somebody who loves them. And you know what? I would even push it so far as saying, I think God is dwelling in and among my neighbors. And every time I meet them, I'm also entering into God's presence. And when we get, get that into our head, I tell you, it does weird things with you, man. Like, <laughs> it changes like, everything. It changes everything, yeah. and this is this is why I have ever since writing this 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 book, I have I've really kind of dove in the deep end on this whole neighborhood conversation because I really do think it's an important one for us to have.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, in your book, you talk a lot about uh, keystone people, yeah, right? Keystone people versus passing through people, mm-hmm. and whether it means to look for those people in your neighborhood and to start to learn from them, and to be connected with them, or if that is describing you know, yourself, if you are finding yourself like, oh, I'm kind of like a keystone person in, in my neighborhood, and what that could mean. You know. As I was reading that, I was like, yes. And you actually put at the very back of your book, you had put down this worksheet. It, it did compare the characteristics between keystone people and passing through people. And I, I remember reading through this the first time, and... I was like, yes, that makes total sense. And then I read through the passing through people section once more. And I was like, you know what? I'm thinking about the Canadian Asian context. I'm thinking about some of the narratives that they've lived into and the scripts that they have. Mm. And I could see a lot of them living as passing through people, but they're not doing it out of spite. They're not doing maliciously, but that's just the way that they've always Mm. known about what does it mean to be in a neighborhood that, you know, that it's, it's not that significant. And thinking about that, I was like, you know what, like, what are ways in which we can kind of start kind of making movement in terms of stretching our imagination in terms of, of seeing a new way, like I'm saying, like, it's yeah. it's not done out of like selfishness right. at all. It's, but it's just an inherited paradigm. And, you know, how can those patterns start mm-hmm. to shift? How can, some of those things kind of be understood in a new way, especially if it's never yeah. been modeled for them, and especially if it's not even in the realm of a person's imagination well yeah,
1: yeah a couple, couple things first, a number of people have said that my book comes across a little poetical and yes. and that's awesome I, I take that as the best compliment i didn't I didn't expect that I just kind of wrote what i what I wanted to to, to write uh, but but in in the poetry it's full of metaphor, and the reason why i I lean on metaphor is because I need my imagination to, to get past myself. Right. And metaphor often is a bit of an awesome Trojan horse. You can let go in your metaph in, in your mind and, and kind of let it explode. But this is the interesting thing. So the language of keystone people was, I I learned along the way as I was enjoying bees, that bees are a keystone species. Meaning if, a, if, a, if honeybees and other pollinators are removed from the world, that they start a chain reaction of things dying at a rapid rate everywhere around them. They are pivotal. They're, they're small. You barely barely see them unless you slow down enough, but they're vital to their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, beavers were, were another big one across Canada. Canada looked very different before we all moved across Canada to kind of live into it. We killed off all the beavers and it turned Canada from a place with lots of rivers, streams, and ponds into a place that had dried up and only there was major water wa- waterways after we kind of yeah. had, had our way with it. The, the When a group of people... In a neighborhood, or from an ethnic group, or whatever their their backstory is, when they see that they are pivotal to the well being of their place, uh, that they aren't just on the sidelines, but right. that their actions play a role in the well being of their place they actually, I think, taste the truth of the situation for the sure. first time. Because I believe that God actually made us to have an impact on our place. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we have often had negative impacts on our place. Sure, yeah. But I think that we could see ourselves as a keystone people, a keystone species that I think neighbors have a way of impacting their place and the well-being of it. And so, if a group of people that have thought of themselves as being on the sidelines start to say no we aren't on the sidelines we're vital to our place what we do matters here then suddenly there's some shocking conversations have to follow up after that (laughs) and i think first gen second gen third gen uh people who have come to canada are engaging Canada in different ways where they come in and some might engage in a first or second generation. Some might take a few generations to realize, no, this is actually where we are and our influence does matter. And what I say and do can change the fabric of my place for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And, And it doesn't happen at some huge national scale or provincial scale. Uh, it happens at a really hyper-local scale. And when I knock on doors in this neighborhood, there will be people from different ethnic groups will open their door wide open and say, come on in and I got food for you. <laughs> and There'll be different people who will open it a small crack and be afraid because they don't... Cause they think that they're on the receiving end of something negative, right. yeah. as opposed to being welcomed in and having their influence play a role in the sure. well-being of of this place. So that's why we have block parties every year here as a way of kind of having all these people together. And everybody brings out their food from their different ethnic backgrounds. And we eat piles of strange things. And we <laughs> laugh. And we tell stories. and that's beautiful. It is the prime way that we build trust with each other, sure. is eating on a on a paved
0: cul-de-sac, right? Like that is where life has been happening for us. So yeah, I'm just thinking about like, what would it be like to really experience that and to like, to even look out, even if if you do have suspicions or you are kind of operating out of a mode of fear, but just to look out and be like, you know what? Like this is a neighborhood coming together. Mm-hmm. This is something that is, Worthwhile. This is something that's not just inconsequential, but mm-hmm. something that is good. Yeah, what it can do for someone just to kind of see that happen, yeah. and to be, uh, you know, just to, to, you know, to have one of those layers or one of those walls peeled back a <laughs> I bit. Think so. Yeah, for I sure. Think so. I think so. I want to ask you a little bit of, a little bit about one of my favorite parts of your book, which is when you talked about the winter bees. Yeah, and you described them as the ones that will never taste pollen. <laughs> Right, you know, the the never will wow. taste the spring flowers because their job is to keep moving and keep the hive alive. <laughs> because if they don't, then the whole thing kind of falls apart. And you know, we can totally relate that to like, oh, if we all withdraw, like in terms of the passing through people. Yeah. If I just see my house as my own kind of fortress, and everyone has their own places. You know, the passing through people is just like you know their their influence is inconsequential to the neighborhood. But as you're saying, there is a chain reaction if everyone kind of withdraws something happens mm-hmm. right uh, But you know, when you're talking about the winter bees, it really struck a chord with me. And because they were so essential to the hive, but they will never taste the pollen. Um, but their job was to keep every everything going and, and kind of like making sure survival was, was, was happening. Um, and it made me think a lot about the growing pains and some of the harder parts of neighboring and, whether it be in, in, in the life of a church or through certain generations of, of pastors or leaders or those stepping into the neighborhood and setting the stage for all that to happen, but maybe never like tasting yeah. the pollen. <laughs> I thought a lot about that and it really gave me the feels because I was like, you know what? What if God is calling someone to engage in the neighborhood and they never experience it because he's, just, he's calling that person to set the stage for what will happen, but God's kingdom is bigger. And God's, God is better, and God is doing something, and it's amazing. Those are kind of some of those kind of growing pains and those kind of realities, kind of wrestle with. Would you have any encouragement for those going through those winter seasons that, you know, whether or not they might taste the pollen, right? yeah. you know? Yeah, no, yeah. So there's generations of bees throughout the year.
1: Bees live six weeks to maybe three or four months depending on the time of 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 year and so i was just it was the dead of winter it was like 30 below i was sitting in my window looking out over these two ice frozen beehives i i wrap them up and i insulate them uh but the queen kind of lays some eggs late in the fall Hmm. and those eggs hatch and emerge but they live their whole life in darkness in the beehive and then in the spring, kind of before anything is sprouting anywhere, those bees start dying off and a new generation emerges. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones that get to get out. They taste the first sun, they find the first dandelion and they get out and they get 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 moving. And when I sat there, I, I had the feels too, because I was <laughs> like, there's a whole generation that have all of the equipment to do to pollinate and make the world a beautiful place. They have yes. wings, they have eyes, they have a tongue, they have a stinger, they, they have fur, they, they have all the equipment to go and do something beautiful in the world. Mm. And yet they're cold and hunkered down. And that makes me sad. Mm. But these new emerging bees, when I watch them, they're young, they're fuzzy, they're, they don't know how to fly very well at the beginning. They're buzzing around the yard wondering what the heck's going on. And then they get their groove on and then they go and work. And it it's occurred to me that in Canada, in the church, and in every neighborhood, frankly, Hmm. everybody is given the same equipment that Jesus was given. Jesus was given the equipment to heal, to uh, mend what was broken, to restore what was lost. And if we believe what Jesus said when he left us the spirit of God, is that we are given the same equipment and charged with the same task to make the kingdom of God evident in our midst. Amen. And that comes with moving into our place like Jesus did, setting up our tent and, and being the presence of Jesus here. And we have all of that equipment. We have the same two hands, the same brain, actually the same uh, apparent access to God. We can speak to God and God apparently speaks back to us. Mm -hmm. All of this is very present with us. And Jesus tried really hard, I think, over and over to say, guys, you got this. This is for you to do this and it will be good. Go. And so, when I step into my neighborhood with all of this equipment, I sometimes call myself a saint, not openly because people would think I was crazy. (laughs) But before anything else, before I even wake up in the morning, Jesus sees Preston and you as somebody who's beloved and fully equipped to do what Jesus does. Mm. And... That's whether I've sinned the day before or I'm going to sin that day. That is irrelevant. He says he's got that covered. And Mm. so we step with this boldness, like a spring bee, I think, into our world and say, where's something that's growing? How can I nurture it? How can I be a part of what God is growing here? And when I walk with this uh, and when this kind of captivates my heart, it changes the way I see my neighborhood. It changes the way I think the church is going to be operating. Sure. um, Going forward, and people might say, Well, how do people come to faith in Jesus, or do you have converts, or all of these things? And half of our church is brand new to faith in Jesus, and people have been baptized and people are growing in their faith in Jesus, and they've done it almost all because they first started with just loving their neighbors. Hmm. And it shouldn't surprise us that when we love our neighbors that God's like, that's what I told you to do. Just do that and other things happen. And so, as we love our neighbors, people come to faith in Jesus, but they don't do it out of some obligation or religiosity. They do it because they go, oh, this is what I was made for. I get yeah. to wake up as a spring bee too and step into the world and go, oh, I've been, in, I've been living in the shadows hunkering down for a long time, but I've known all along that I have this equipment to do good good things. And by stepping into my neighborhood, I get to practice st- stretching my wings, right? I get sure. to practice using the bits of me that, that were made to do good things. And, and when people practice that, they do come into a n- new relationship with God. So love God and love neighbor, man. These things are so hand in hand. It isn't even funny. And it's, and it's really awesome. So mm. yeah, it's been yeah, fantastic.
0: That's awesome. The last thing I want to ask you a little bit about mm-hmm. is about In the practice of neighboring, what does it look like when communities shift and they change? And I'm asking this because I've seen this in my own context in Toronto and learning about the history of our neighborhood as it started off as a very Caucasian neighborhood, very European, but then a lot of them as they've retired or as their kids have moved out, some of them have stayed and have retired there, but all their kids are gone. And immigrant families have moved in. And you know what? I kind of fit within a little bit of that, you know, that gap because I speak Cantonese and there was a lot of people from Hong Kong coming at one point, And that's been amazing. And, you know, I, I count it as a, a privilege to be able to kind of be in that gap. But what we're experiencing now is more mainland people who only speak Mandarin come in. Mm. And now I'm thinking like, oh, the community is shifting again. Mm. And I'm not able to communicate like by language very much with my neighbors because I don't know Mandarin, right? <laughs> and so, you know, that's just one example of kind of a community shifting. But like, what does it mean to continue to practice neighboring as a neighborhood shifts and changes? My first answer is, I
1: don't, I don't know the answer. We were talking even before we set up the microphones of just how talking at 30,000 feet about big issues like, yeah, like right. this, this group doesn't know this group. Sometimes that can lead us down weird, weird roads that don't make sense. But if we were able to talk about this person with this name and this person with this name and then ask the question, how are these two people engaging each other? Suddenly our imaginations do do an interesting flip because mm-hmm. they're now able to go, oh, well, maybe I can see an occasion where those two would be t- together together actually heard a story of a neighborhood where there's a asian woman who doesn't speak the language of whoever else was in this 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 community but they but they called her auntie and for 8 years she didn't speak the same language as all of her friends right and but they all found a way of loving auntie and auntie (laughs) actually spoke deeply into their lives even though they didn't speak the same language so Hmm. i I, it's it's probably a one in a million kind of story that took a lot of bravery on two sides to learn how to relate to each other even though languages were were quite a major barrier but what grows up in a community is a lot like what grows up in in a garden so my wife planted a whole bunch of seeds in that flower bed there, mm-hmm. and every day we come out and we 're like, "Hun, what what did you plant here?" and we <laughs> yes. don 't don't know actually uh, it's it 's coming up, we water it and we nurture it, and, and we 're kind of waiting for the bloom to come on it, but it takes nurturing to see the bloom happen and sure. and then we'll be able to go, "Oh, actually, we were nurturing a weed the entire time or <laughs> no we we were actually nurturing um, some some beautiful, awesome flower, and so yeah. I think In our neighborhood, we can't predetermine and say, we are only nurturing this or only nurturing that. And if something grows mm-hmm. up and it's turning into an apple tree, then we say, "You're an apple tree. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Let's 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 see you as an apple tree and not go. Why aren't you an evergreen? Right? And this is totally revealing the like total um, botanist in us coming coming out. But but in my neighborhood, there's people who are blooming and growing in different ways, and, sure. and I'm learning to let them be, uh, not to change them, and not to go and not to bemoan that. Oh, why aren't there more of these kind of people here? Right, or so right. on. And I think Jesus, when he said, "Love your neighbor," he knew that your neighbor would be different than you. And I think that this is the, the entire point. I think it's in the rub between you and your total hand-picked different person that this is actually where our faith starts to make sense. Mm. It isn't in between. There's lots of people say, Preston, I don't really want to get to know my neighbors, but I got co-workers. Can that be my my mission field? And I go, yeah, that's great. Love your coworkers, but they're paid to be there. They probably have the same skill sets as you, you have, you're all working on the same project. Mm -hmm. You are lumped together because for common purpose and, but your neighbors, it's total luck of the draw, man. (laughs) Like, like, like you might have a very strange person on, on your street. And I think somehow in God's sovereignty, he's saying, and this is where you learn to follow me. Right. Mm. Not maybe so much at work, although I don't dismiss that, uh, but in the same way, you can't really choose your family. You were chosen to be in 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 that right. crazy crew. Uh, you can't choose your neighborhood. This is what is in front of you. And I think this is why the flavor of the church in Canada is going to look so different place by place. We need sure. to celebrate each of those places because how are these Cantonese and Mandarin speaking people going to see each other mm-hmm. and grow? And 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 I think God's Spirit is like, I totally know how this is going to turn turn out. <laughs> Can you just trust me by doing one thing? Just Try to love that person sure. and I will take care of the rest. I've given you all the equipment to make this work, work, work out. Mm-hmm. And it might be painful sometimes. Like I get stung sometimes around my bees mm. uh, and I come in and I'm like, oh man, I got stung on my ear and it's inflated. But yet I'm talking about my bees all excitedly or my wife likes to garden and she came in once with like bloodied arms because she was working in the roses. But was she talking about her bloodied arms? No, she was like, oh man, these roses are looking so good. Yeah. Like, it's painful sometimes to be a neighbor to stand in awkward places and to bump up against somebody that you're like I I had no idea why you're to going on and on about motorboats. I don't know anything about motorboats. Sure. Like this is the awkwardest conversation ever. <laughs> and it might hurt a little bit, but yet you come back and you say, "Oh man, I just I got to see the beauty." of this person because I was willing to endure a little discomfort. And I think when we learn to endure some discomfort, we actually step in the footsteps of Jesus Mm. who endured discomfort by entering into our story and ultimately dying on the cross. And I think that he shows us that that it's in the endurance and the sacrifice and the obedience that we actually get to see the resurrected life. And and that's what we're experiencing here. Tastes of it, little glimpses of it, but soon we are maybe going to to be able to point at things a little bit more directly, I think.
0: so. That is so awesome. You know what? We usually end off our episode with a takeaway box, but I think that right there (laughs) just needs to just give time to sink in. So if you want to hear the takeaway box, rewind (laughs) about two minutes and just listen to that again. Mm. Wow. The whole idea of just God knows how this is going to come together and just to trust him with that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that it's, it's okay if it's awkward and it's that, it's, that we didn't get a chance to choose the perfect neighbors. <laughs> but that God, has, God is doing something. Mm-hmm. and God's presence is there. And God's kingdom is breaking through. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Thank you so much, Preston, for joining us on this dialogue, this conversation on the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. It's been such a joy to chat with you
1: bless you man bless you this is this is a great podcast we just need we need good Canadian voices to talk about
0: Canadian things sure, and so yeah. you I just cheer cheer you on thanks, well done man. well done thanks man hey if you have not done so already please remember to review and let us know how we're doing on our podcast and to dialogue with some of these issues with us because we want to keep this this conversation going share this conversation because we want to start to be able to engage in different ways and if you want to reach us you can reach us on on Facebook, Twitter, or by email. And recently, since Shu just set it up, we have Instagram now. I don't oh, even know what that means. You, you guys have entered a new era. Oh my goodness. It's the <laughs> new digital age. Anyways, we'd love to hear from you. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.